Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by Jay Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Welcome to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast with J. Barry Watts of SavingYouTaxes.com. I'm Patrice Sikora. Barry has a co-host with him today. Barry, why don't you tell us about Eric Burleson? Well, my co-host is Eric Burleson, but rather than me tell you about him, why don't we let Eric tell us about himself? So, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Barry. I've spent probably the last 15 plus years focusing on tax issues as an expert, not only in the legislative level, but in the practical, functional, day-to-day work of helping people reduce their tax liability. You are involved in our practice here, giving tax consulting advice to clients of savingyoutaxes.com. But besides working with us, uh, you also write tax law in the Missouri State Legislature, where you serve as a state senator. Yes, I've had the honor and the privilege of serving as a state representative for eight years, and then I took a couple of years off and was fully in the private sector, but now I'm a state senator, and much of that time has been not only reading tax law, but being the author of and the chief author of tax policy. So you're the guy who wired it up, and therefore you can hopefully tell us how to wire around it. Hopefully. All right. Well, very good. (laughs) Uh, The topic we're going to address today is the future of tax rates in America, and they may or may not be what people expect them to be. Tell me first, tell me what traditional beliefs about taxes are. Thanks so much for asking. Here's what we find. Most people have been trained for the past 30, 40 years. Certainly people who are retiring now have been in the workforce about that long. Let's say 40 years. If you're 60, you've been in the workforce for 40 years, 45 years. And they've been taught to believe that taxes will be less in retirement and that they'll be in a lower tax bracket because they'll have a lower income in retirement. And if you think about it, that's kind of interesting and silly, in my view, that people would work for 40 or 45 years and look forward to living on less when they quit work and are retired. But people have believed that that would be the case, and no one's ever challenged that belief in most of the conversations I run into. But we're always told we're not going to be spending as much. Ah, well, (laughs) I think that's an interesting question uh, in and of itself. If you just stop and think about it, Mm -hmm. uh, answer this question in your own mind. What day of the week is the most expensive day for you? If we had some Jeopardy music, this would be a great (laughs) place for it to go. So what is it? Well, if you stop and think about uh, what the most expensive day of the week is, for most people. It's the one day when you have time to go to the grocery store and to take your car by the shop and have the oil changed on it and to go get your haircut and to stop by the mall and pick up that new outfit. Saturday is the day that most working people have available to do all of those kinds of things. And once you retire, every day is Saturday. So you can spend money not just on one day of the week, Saturday being the most expensive, you can spend money then every day of the week. You can play golf not just one day a week. You can play golf six days a week. 
So Saturday is the historic most expensive day for working folks. And when you retire, you just multiplied your most expensive day by six. So the notion that you're going to live on less in retirement is, I think, a fallacy. And frankly, most people don't want to do that. They want to live at the same level that they have been used to, the same income level or even more. That's very depressing. You know that? Yeah, well, I'm just here to cheer you up. Well, you've done Glad that. Glad that I could help. What else are we finding as people retire, especially when it comes to taxes? Because they've been investing. How? Tax deferred? Well, because you think that your income will be less in retirement, and because you think you'll be in a lower tax bracket when you retire, well, then you've been taught to put your money away into tax-deferred accounts. Your 401k is an example of that. A tax-deductible IRA is an example of that. And so we've got people who have spent 30 years plus putting money into those accounts, getting a tax break while they did it. And as a result, their taxes may have been lower during all those working years. But now when they retire suddenly and start taking money out of their 401k or IRA type account, it will actually vault them into the next higher tax bracket. So tax deferred investing may not be the best idea unless you're certain that you'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. And I'm here to tell you that most people don't want to be in that lower tax bracket. Well, what drives the taxes up as a retiree? Well, when people retire, they lose some of the tax breaks and benefits. Eric, you write the legislation on some of this, at least in the state of Missouri. Tell us what some of those benefits that they lose are. Obviously, at the very beginning, a lot of people have worked to have their mortgage paid off. And so that's one of the early deductions that people are going to lose if they no longer have that mortgage interest deduction. They're no longer getting the deduction that they might get if they're pouring into that 401k. So they're now paying for that. Well, so on, on the mortgage interest deduction, so you, you go to work, let's say you're 25 and you get married and you buy a house and you get a 30-year loan. You're going to pay that house over a 30-year period of time. So that's going to be age 55 and you're going to retire about 60. So as you get to the end of your working career, then you have paid off the house and you no longer have what is most people's biggest deduction, which is their mortgage interest. Right. Absolutely. And even if you haven't paid it off, you might be at a place where it's a much smaller amount than what it was when you first took out the loan. So the longer your loan goes, you get toward the end of the loan, more of your payment goes toward principal instead of interest. So the value from a tax perspective of that interest payment diminishes over time. And in the last yeah. years, it isn't very significant. And we see even people that really planned ahead and maybe they had rental property, they're now at a place where those properties, they can't experience the full depreciation of those assets. Mm -hmm. Those are those are just a few examples. So, so you've lost your mortgage deduction. You've uh, lost the deduction for the kids being at home, the child tax credits and the child has a deduction. You've lost your 401k contribution because you're no longer working. You mentioned that. So you, if you're no longer working, you're no longer making the contribution to your 401k and getting a deduction for doing that. Yeah. Another big one are folks that are paying for the child's college expense. Mm -hmm. So that's a great opportunity to capitalize on deductions that are available. But usually when you're retired, those are gone. Kids are already out of the house. I'm in my late 50s. Uh, my last one just graduated college about two weeks ago. So there's no longer any expense that goes on in my tax return related to the education of kids. So that's exactly where I'm at. What about charity here? That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, when you're, when you're working, a lot of people write checks to charity. 
when you're no longer working, you suddenly feel like you have a lot more time than you do money. And so instead of writing checks to charity, what we find people start doing is volunteering their time. And the bad part about that or, or where that affects you tax wise is that your checks that you write to charity are deductible, but the time that you give to charity is not deductible. So when you total all of these things up that we've been talking about, those were the things that were giving you tax breaks. And when all of those disappear, if nothing else changed, but just those things disappearing, well, then that alone could cause you to be in a higher tax bracket. All right. What do you do? I think what we do is realize where we are and where we're going potentially and what we think the future of taxes will be. And then we make appropriate adjustments along the way. I think the first question is this, what's the future of tax brackets? What has to happen in the future in order for taxes to go higher? Eric, what's the answer to that question? Nothing. Nothing. Because it's already baked into the cookie. If Congress does not take action, the tax rates are going to go up because the Trump tax cuts are expected to expire in by 2026. Well, they're not just expected to. That's what the legislation said. Yes. That was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also called the Trump Tax Cuts. And for example, if you make $250,000 a year as a family, before the Trump Tax Cuts, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, you were in the 33% bracket. But now, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the same $250,000 family is only in the 24% bracket. So that's six, seven, eight, no, what, 9% in tax that they are saving. In 2026, that all goes away because the legislation, as it was written, sunsets those tax breaks. And so on January 1, 2026, boom, we're right back in the tax brackets we had before. And if you're in the 24% bracket today, it'll launch you back to the 33% bracket. Is there any chance that could be extended or is it final final date? Well, technically, it's the final date because that's what's written into the law. But, you know, they just kind of change things in Washington and in Jefferson City, however they want to, whenever they want to. So I think what happens in the election this fall and whether the Republicans hold the Senate, whether the Republicans hold the White House will be a driving factor in whether or not those taxes go up in 26 or whether they go up sooner. Now, Eric, you stand for election on occasion and were elected by the people to a statewide office. So you may want to speak to that. I would say that there's no way with a divided House and Senate and president or executive branch that you'll see a tax cut extended unless things change. So with a divided Congress, the way it is a political divide, it's more than likely than not that nothing is going to get passed and those those tax breaks that we experience today are going to go away. So those go away in 26. And if we actually see the Democrats take over the Senate and or the executive branch federally, then probably- You'll see the opposite. It, it would happen. What do you mean the opposite? Then you have, you're going to have Congress that wants to expand the growth of government. They're, they'll want to increase tax rates in order to grow what is already what some consider a government that's out of control in its in its growth. So instead of tax rates increasing in 2026, we might even see that happen sooner. We might see it happen sooner or or go higher than what is expected to happen in 2026. Yeah. Guys, a quick question here. We're talking about tax dollars and whatnot. Where do the tax dollars go? Well, it's interesting you ask that question. You know, what drives government spending is primarily Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. In fact, in 2020, this year, 
91 cents out of every tax dollar received by the federal government goes to pay for one of those four things, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, or interest on the debt. So if you just stop and think about that for a moment and think about where interest rates are right now, they're at historic low levels. So what happens when interest rates begin to rise? Well, the government will have to pay higher interest on the debt, the money that they have borrowed. And oh, did you know here in the spring of 2020, the government reached out and borrowed $2.4 trillion in response to the coronavirus. And that number is expected to finally go to about $4.7 trillion before it all settles out. So essentially government indebtedness and on every dollar the government borrows, it's paying interest. Government indebtedness has doubled overnight. And when interest rates then go higher, how are we going to pay that bill? Where's the money going to come from to do that? They can print it. Well, they could print money. And if they print money, what does that do to the rate of inflation? Turns the United States into Venezuela. Mm -hmm. It means that you're going to need to invest in wheelbarrows because you're going to need a wheelbarrow just to carry your money down to the grocery store to get a loaf of bread because your dollar isn't going to be worth anything. So it's going to take so many dollars mm -hmm. to get there that it's going to destroy the economy. Now, the alternative is rather than printing the money is that they increase the taxes. And I believe that's more likely to be what occurs is that we would see taxes increase because the government has only got really one source of real dollars. And that source of real dollars is taxation of the citizens. So you're telling me though, that only nine cents of every dollar funds everything the government does, except for the social security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. That's exactly what I'm telling you. Go look the budget up yourself. So if you stop and think about all the other things that the government does, the military, Coast Guard, air traffic control, uh, the Forest Service, the Department of Agriculture, the Centers for Disease Control, the FBI, the Congress, running the Capitol, the Capitol Police, uh, the Secret Service, all of the other expenses, programs, projects and departments of the United States government run on 9% of the income the government takes in. 91% goes to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and interest on the debt. And when interest rates rise, that one factor alone is going to blow up the U.S. budget in such a way that the government can't recover from that because the only solution they will have will be to increase taxes at a rate that we believe will be unpalatable for the average taxpayer. Does the populace really pay attention to taxes? No, they don't pay attention to taxes. I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a segment that does. Eric, you, I don't know, you hear from uh, people who are your constituents. What do they tell you about taxes? Well, you've got some that pay attention, but the taxes are designed in such a way that a lot of times people are not really paying attention because they're embedded, they're already withheld out of most people's paychecks when it comes to income taxes. If you've got a mortgage, you don't see those taxes coming out because it's coming out in your, in your monthly mortgage payments. They're really designed so that people don't feel the burden. Now they are feeling the burden. And believe me, they will, as taxes go up, it'll have a dramatic impact on people's lifestyle and what they can afford. So to Patrice's question, then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And the government's developed the system so that much of your tax payment is kind of out of sight. 
And so you're busy living your life, going to your kids' soccer games, watching your grandkids grow up, going fishing once in a while. You don't pay attention to tax like perhaps you ought to. Yeah, and for people that are in their earning years, they don't pay attention because they've got their heads down, they've got their nose to the grindstone, they're working, right. and because they they're generating income, it's not as much, it's not as visible, especially because it's coming out of their paycheck. But when you retire, that's not the case. Uh, when you retire, you're going to see your, the taxes that you're going to pay in property. You're going to see because you're going to be writing the check. You're going to see the taxes that you're paying in income. And so, so when you say you're writing the check, the way that's different, for example, on your mortgage right now, you're, if you're paying a mortgage payment, your taxes may come out as a part of your mortgage payment. Exactly. When the mortgage payment's paid off, well, then the taxes just fall back to you and you write the check at the end of the year. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are not prepared for that. They think that they pay off their mortgage and they're done. They're not prepared for the fact that, oh, you mean all those years I was passing those property taxes, uh, those property and tax increases, it actually had an, it is going to have an impact on me. Well, a person here in, in Missouri, where you and I are domiciled, may pay, oh, a typical individual might pay $2,500, $3,000 in property tax or something like that. But I've got peers around the country who I hear talking about taxes in the twenty dollars and thirty and $40,000 range just on their homestead. Yeah, it's a remarkable thing that most people don't plan for as, as they're approaching the retirement years. Have tax rates ever been higher? Than they are today? Absolutely, tax rates have been higher. Tell me about that. Um, in fact, uh, throughout all of the 1970s, the top tax bracket was in excess of 70%. Today, the top tax bracket is 37%. So the fact is, we complain about taxes right now. We feel like taxes are too high. But taxes are pretty much as low right now as they have ever been in the history of the country. So we're in a low tax rate environment. We like to say taxes are on sale. You can pay your taxes cheaper now than ever at any point in the history of the country. And that's why there are some strategic things that we need to do to take advantage of the opportunity right now while taxes are cheap, because we believe taxes are going higher in the future. What should we be doing? The first thing you've got to realize is what taxes are going to do. And you have to make up your own mind about what that's going to look like. You know, the Congressional Budget Office sent a letter to Speaker Paul Ryan when he was in office and told him that the lowest tax brackets in the future would move from 15% to 25%. With the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the lowest brackets right now is 10%. But they're saying this is the CBO. They're not political. They're not Republican or Democrat. They're just number crunchers who figure out what rates have to be. They say the lowest rate will be 25%. The middle bracket will go from 25% to 63%. And the highest tax bracket, where most of the people that we work with find themselves living, will go from 35% to 88%. Now, that's somewhere that we've already been. In fact, from 1960 to 1963, the top tax bracket was 87%, and the bottom bracket was 26%. So essentially, the Congressional Budget Office is saying, we're going to go back to where we were in the early 1960s. And that's why David Walker is such a significant figure, I think. Probably most folks haven't heard of David, um, but he was the head of the Government Accountability Office. He was on the Board of Social Security in the CPA Hall of Fame. And um, 
he was making a speech a while back, and one of the things that he said was most interesting. He said, regardless of what politicians tell you, and I always like to just stop and dwell on those four, five, six words, <laughs> regardless of, of what politicians tell you. How do you feel about that, Eric? You know, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. He just admitted it. Well, Walker said, regardless of what politicians tell you, any additional accumulations of debt are deferred tax increases. There's simply no way to handle ever mounting debt except by doubling taxes. And that's the guy who is the official CPA for the United States government. And the problem is most of our brains don't believe that. And the reason we don't believe it is all of our working careers over 30 or 40 years have, for most of us now, have come since the Reagan era. You know, Reagan, uh, Reagan actually came into office uh, as I was graduating high school. And, you know, Reagan ushered in the period of lowest tax rates we've ever had. 28% was the top bracket at one point. Mm. And so we've all worked in this environment of about one third going to taxes. And in our minds, two thirds for me, one third for the tax man. So when, when Eric and I stand up and say, hey, taxes are going to 80% plus, your brain doesn't have a category for that. It says it can't be true because it's not never been that way before. Well, that's just not realizing what history tells us. Tax rates have been that high. In fact, if you go back into the 1940s, the top tax bracket was at 93%, I believe is the number. And you've got a political climate that is really pushing for a distribution of wealth. You've got an underbelly of the American culture that is really trying to push for higher taxes on those higher earners, especially. And so that's something to not sweep away, that there's a possibility that the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's of the world gain more power, gain more uh, authority, and they certainly will enact some pretty enact tax policy that increases taxes on on those high income earners, especially. I, I, I'm always amazed that people always think they're getting free money from the government, getting getting some of that government money. Well, where does the government get its money? From the people. It's the people's money. So when you talk about redistribution of wealth, you're just talking about taxing people who are higher up the food chain, sucking that money into Washington, D.C., letting Washington, D.C. skim off whatever part of it it does, and then redistributing it through various programs to other portions of the culture and society. It's just cash handouts, as we've seen happen lately. <laughs> yeah, there were some cash handouts with the COVID thing, weren't there? Yes. Eric, I want to go back to your point about the higher earners. What is a higher earner? Well, that's a very subjective point of view. They always talk about the 1%, but there's a lot of people who uh, in America that would find themselves in that 1%. That hey, be hey, Patrice, I can answer that question for you. Okay. You are a higher earner. Everyone listening to this podcast is probably a higher earner. The point is when you really get down to who they qualify as higher earners, it's going to be middle America. And, and yes. Forbes magazine had a piece on this that was very interesting. What Forbes said is there just aren't enough high income earners, that true top 1%. There aren't enough of them to tax to make any difference when it comes to raising enough money for the government to spend. Poor people don't have anything to tax. So it's the middle class that is where all of the tax potential is because there are so many people in that middle class. They always talk about taxing higher earners, but in reality, it's going to be taxing middle class wage earners when the time comes. All right, my hand is up. What should I do? Well, there are a number of steps that you can take. Uh, if you have the majority of your money 
in a 401k or an IRA type of an account where you've been getting a tax break for putting that money in there, then you need to begin cleansing that account from taxes right now while tax rates are low, paying the tax and getting it out of your mind and do that before tax rates get higher. So we've got about a six-year window of time uh, between now and 2026 when tax rates are set to go higher. And you should use that time wisely to reposition money from those tax-deferred accounts over to tax-free accounts. Now, an example of a tax-free account would be a Roth IRA or a private insured retirement advantage account, someplace where you don't pay any taxes in the future. Can you imagine having uh, two or $3 million that is paying you monthly income, but you're not getting a 1099 that requires you to pay any tax on it because all of it was coming from accounts that had already had the taxes paid and were tax-free. So that's the way we try to guide retiring clients. Now, if it's a business owner, there are a variety of things that you can do. For example, one, one simple thing a business owner can do is set up what's called a segregated asset plan. And they can get up to a six-figure tax deduction for doing that today. And then when they get ready to pay the tax on the money later on, the tax can be as low as 4% when they take it out of the plan. So if you could get a six-figure tax deduction today, and then when you realize that money later, only pay 4% in taxes on it, well, that's something that's really worthy for consideration for a business owner. So those are some of the kinds of strategies that are brought to the table, but there are literally hundreds of them. And these are just some popular ones that popped into mind as you ask the question. All right. Lots of thought-provoking stuff here, guys. How can people reach you if they want to talk about this? Well, the easy way to reach us is to go online to savingyoutaxes.com. And at savingyoutaxes.com, you'll find a way you can email us. You'll find our telephone number. That's the easy way to get in touch with me or with my co-host, Eric Burleson. To subscribe to the Truth About Taxes and Retirement podcast, simply tap the subscribe button on this page. You can also share with the share button. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.